Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we have moved to verses 49 through 52. Hear now the living and abiding word of God. Zion, remember the word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. This is the very word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you today, before your precious word, we ask for the intercession of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts unto this word, that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I think at some point in each of our lives, we've been questioned by hope. Perhaps we've been challenged by a lack of hope. And it's a, it's a good consideration. What do you hope for in this life? What is your hope for the future? And what gives you hope to make it through the day and on to the next day? I'm not sure about you, but I admit that it often seems I go from one temporal short hope to the next. And sadly, sometimes that's how I live. I hope it doesn't rain today. And then, of course, the next day I might notice that my lawn is turning brown and say, I really hope it rains today. And, of course, some aspects of that are not bad. It could say that we as Christians live from one petition to our God to the next, just as we live from one promise to our God to the next. But what is the broad, overarching, foundational hope in your life? And, and what's the basis of that hope? Because it's, it's not so much about what we hope for, but what matters is, what do we hope in? We would all say, hopefully, that our hope is in the Lord. Amen? And, and the psalmist in our passage today, he really challenged us to examine what we mean by that. What do we mean when we say our hope is in the Lord? Because this hope must be, to the Christian, the confidence we have in life. It must be our expectation in life. It must be the heart of every petition in our life. That God, and only God, is our hope. Now, I think we could all say that hoping in God is pretty straightforward when life is going well, right? Like, yeah, I can open God. It's a great day today. No problem. But when life's hard, when God brings those difficult providences in our life, I know for me that's when hope wanes. That's when we can get weary. That's when 
We're just longing for some kind of peace or comfort from the trial. And and it's really at those times. Where as Christians do we go for comfort? How do we respond in difficult times? And what we're going to find today is how we respond is really a proof of our hope or lack thereof. So this morning, we're going to explore this portion of Psalm 119 together, and then I'd actually like to use it as a jumping-off point to the very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's take a look at our text here. Psalm 119, we're starting in verse 49 today. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. It's like the psalmist is saying, God, You have to be true to your word, God, because I've put everything I have in your word. I've put all my stock into it. It's all I have. So you've got to fulfill it, God. And so we're seeing that this is really a a statement of faith, isn't it? it? Living out our faith and trusting in God results in an expression of hope. Faith gives hope. Charles Bridges said, what is faith? It's a great question. Faith is hope upon God's word. Faith is hope upon God's word. In other words, when when we read God's word, there must be faith present to receive it. You can't just hope that God's word is true. That's even the wrong use of that word. You have to believe in it and have faith that it's true, and then that faith in his word renders hope. Now you have hope. Faith gives hope upon God's word, that we may live out with expectation what God says in his word. Faith is a belief in God, and hope is the resulting life view of the Christian. Faith enables us to rightly receive and respond with hopeful expectation. John Calvin said it this way, Faith believes God to be our Father. Hope expects that He will always act as such towards us. Did you you catch that one word? Hope expects that He will always act that way towards us. In other words, God's our father. God is my father. I expect him to be a father to me. That's hope. So this is hope. It's a holy confidence that the Lord knows and remembers his promises in his word. So we can go forth no matter what the circumstances. Because if God has promised it and if his word has declared it, it's as good as done. That's confident hope by faith. But we need to take a moment and talk about this word, hope. Because it's one of those words that's meaning seems to have changed over time. You know how some words change? Like the word awful used to mean amazing. The word terrible used to mean super scary. But when we use the word hope in our language today, it's almost 
almost the opposite of how it's used in the Word of God. Children, for example, children can probably identify with this. Let's say you want to go outside and play, but you see those dark Colorado storm clouds moving in. And you might say, oh, I hope it doesn't rain. All of a sudden, what we're saying is, I hope it doesn't rain, but it probably will. So all of a sudden, hope becomes this negative thing. That's a backwards view of hope. Hope is trusting in something. Hope is positive. Hope is not just what we want to happen. Hope is that we expect it to happen. You are confident something will happen. You believe it will happen. Noah Webster was helpful to clarify this in his 1828 He said, hope is not just desiring something. And I think that's how we normally think of it in our culture today, in our language today. Hope is not just desiring something. That's called wishing for something. No, true hope expects based on belief. Hope expects based upon belief. And of course, that hope is ultimately and singularly rooted in the only one that we can have full confidence in, and that's God. And this is how the word speaks of hope, right? Like Joel 3.16, the Lord will be the hope of his people. So, So if you wanted to get really particular, which you don't have to do, make sure you're using the word hope in relation to God. It's his word. Because you can't expect something based on belief in something random, like the clouds, because we know God controls the clouds, right? So hope is not an outcome that drives us, like whether it rains or not. No, our hope is in the Lord. As Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do we hope in? God. Whatever he's doing, that's my hope. Whatever he says, that's my hope. Whatever he promises, that's my hope. Because I trust in his word more than me. And more than whatever this world has to offer. And so our God, the God who saved us, who's Lord of our life, he's not the God of our desires and wishes. He's the God of fulfilled promises according to his word. So when you put your hope in God, you are believing what he says is true. And that's what it means to put your hope in Jesus. You believe what he says is true, and hope expresses assurance concerning the future of whatever circumstance you're in, by God's promises, by faith which you believe in. And this is hope. It's founded upon God's word. It takes away the fear, takes away the anxiety, removes the stress. Hope is what allows us to rest. Even in difficult circumstances. This is exactly what the psalmist says in the next verse. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction. For your word has given me life. God's word just bears forth hope for us. God's word, therefore, is comfort. The word 
And the hope it brings is not just a comfort, but it gives us life. It's like the pure milk of the word. As Peter said, we should crave it like newborns so that we will grow. And of course, we know the word is life to us. It's, it's, how, it's how we live. It's what we live by. By every word of the mouth of God. But the focus, notice the focus of the psalmist here, is that the word is his comfort. Another word that's probably been affected over the years by our language. But, but this is really a self-examining question we should ask. What is your comfort in difficult times? Because we, you all know the word, the flesh, and the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to offer a lot of options for you to go comfort yourself when life is hard. Maybe it's a bowl of ice cream. Maybe it's a glass of wine. Maybe it's some escape. Maybe it's a new adventure. Maybe it's a new outfit. Maybe it's venting to someone about your woes. I'm good at that, unfortunately, I admit. Perhaps a new possession that will comfort you. Yes, that's the answer. Or perhaps a new relationship. Now, now these, these things seemingly bring a change, but we know that they're not providing deep and lasting comfort, are they? Because as sons and daughters of the king, we have unhindered access to the very life-giving truth of God. The God of of all. God of Jupiter. God of all creation. God of every microbe and every soul. Creator of all. We have the word of God to run to. May we not let anything replace it as the hope and comfort it brings. Spurgeon said this, the worldling clutches to his money bag and says, this is my comfort. The spendthrift points to his gaiety and shouts, this is my comfort. The drunkard lifts his glass and says, this is my comfort. But the man whose hope comes from God feels the life-giving power of the word of the Lord, and he testifies, this is my comfort. We believe in the word of God that brings confident hope and expectation in God. You remember how the Apostle Paul said this? Sometimes we sing it. For I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Do you hear the confidence? Do you hear the hope just, just saturating that verse? I know. I believe. I am convinced God will keep his promises. This is the Christian's comfort and affliction. The word of God. And, and this is really, we wanted to put it in some material form, this is the Christian's gold. This is our treasure. Because flowing from it is the surety of God's promises. We actually sang our first song was, this is my, where my surety stands. This is the surety we have in God's promises. The certainty of God's truth. 
the trust in God's power. Because we know we wouldn't retreat anywhere else or to anything else than to the two-edged sword of God's word. And so accordingly, the psalmist goes on in verse 51 to declare his allegiance to the word. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. See, he's saying there's no other truth that I will run to. I will never turn aside from God's law because I trust in God's word. And this is really the echoes of we, that we find of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. Proud scoffers will come against me, but I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Because there's actually a beautiful connection here to this text from the sermon last week. You remember the sermons last week? Dig up in your memory seven days ago. Do you remember? We have the apostles, the disciples of Christ, in Acts 5, warned and, 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 and then ridiculed and derided by the proud religious leaders. But notice, they did not turn aside from God's truth. They, in affliction, stood confidently. They put their hope in the Lord and in Him alone. They didn't strategize, what should we say now? What should we, maybe we should take a break, guys, for a couple months. They had nothing else but God as their hope. And so through the trial, God grew the church and even protected them. Remember in Acts 5, by the words of who else? But another Pharisee of all things. But certainly we know our hope can wane if we grow distant from his word or if we don't live by faith. So we must continually petition God for faith that fuels our hope in him. Calvin said we should ask God to increase our hope when it is small, awaken it when it is dormant, confirm it when it is wavering, strengthen it when it is weak, and raise it up when it is overthrown. If you're lacking hope, pray to God. And this is the convicting challenge we need to ask ourselves as Christians. In hard times, how will you respond? What will you turn to? Asaph in Psalm 73 said it very plainly. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Saying exactly what the psalmist is saying, I don't have anything but God to run to for hope. And we've all been given faith to believe in the truth of the living God so that in him we move, we live, we have our being with expectant hope. So lastly, the psalmist concludes this consideration with a really valuable lesson for all of us in verse 52. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. You know, sometimes in difficult times, it, 
it feels like we're at a dead-end road, doesn't it? We're not sure what to do. We're not sure where to go. We're not sure if anybody can help us. We're not sure what's going to happen next. We feel hopeless. And so, so sometimes what we do is we, we search and seek for something. And brothers, can, brothers and sisters, I, I confess, I've done this. There's times and moments of difficulty and affliction. I just can't sit still. I feel like I have to do something. I have to say something. I have to run to something. But all this fluttering about really lacks any power or substance if it's not done in faith. If it's not done with a hope in God. It's not what God has for us to run about. Our psalmist says, I remembered your judgments of old and comforted myself. That's what he did. Notice the verb there. I remembered. So the answer was not jumping on the internet for some self-help solution. It was not running around to find the fix. It was not sinking into isolation of self-pity. Comfort came by remembering the judgments of God. And his promises are so critical for us to remember and live by. His truths are paramount to our daily walk. His precepts set our mind on things above. His ordinances keep us walking on the narrow way. His testimonies remind us of his faithfulness. But we must remember his judgments as well. It's not something maybe talked about much. But just like his grace and mercy, his judgments declare his power to overcome. You might remember we even sing of God's judgments sometimes. You know that? Remember like in Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rocks. God is sovereign over all. He is in control and he is not mocked. He, his justice and his judgment are sure. They are consistent. They're, they're unwavering like a rock. This is comfort to his people. God will take care of it. You're in affliction, that's okay. We can rest in him. So brothers and sisters, we must remember and speak of God's judgments, of God's promises, of God's works. They are so critical to our life. The next generation needs them to live. I think, I think this is really a huge part of the decay of the society that's going on around us. I mean, if we can rattle off sports team statistics and quote movie lines or research a product that we need to buy till we're blue in the face, which I've done a time or two, that's great, but that is not helpful. We need to stop and trust God and speak of his testimonies. I need to still my soul and remember your judgments of old, O Lord. Psalm 78 reminds us of this uh, once again. 
Give ear, O my people, to your law. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, telling to the generation to come the praise of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Family, I'm I'm convicted that I do not speak of the redemption of my God enough. I, I can talk about all kinds of things. But this admonition in verse 52 really challenges us. And it challenges us in something else too. To speak about God and his testimonies, you have to know his testimonies. You have to know the word of God. Remember how Psalm 136 is a little bit like a broken record? And it just, it's just, just kind of hammering on this point over and over and over again. And I, I just think it's instructive that we need to do that sometimes. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his mercy endures forever. To him who divides the Red Sea in two, his mercy endures forever. And who made Israel to pass through the midst of it, his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, his mercy endures forever. We should speak about God's mercy concerning what God has done in our lives too, in our families, in our church. We need to take time to just reminisce about what God is doing in our lives and speak about it. Just let it let it flow from our lips. Remember that time when we were in a huge tension with our parents, but God humbled us and softened our hearts? Remember when God provided for us that one time out of thin air? Let's remember and continue to study his word so that his truths are just a constancy in our lives. I pray that I'm a little bit more like Psalm 136, a little bit of a broken record. His mercy endures forever. Which begs the question, are you a student of the word? So that in those perilous times, and you you want to go remember God's judgments of old, you know them. You have them hidden in your heart that you may speak of them readily. Finally, I want to conclude our time today by diving into this question of comfort for the Christian. By looking at the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, which says, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? Let's look at this together because this provides some very good rooting for us, particularly when we face hard seasons or even when things are going well. This question really gets us grounded in the sober reality of who God is, who we are, and what our hope must reside in. So what is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I am not my own. But I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Well, there's a lot we could discuss there, but I want to bring three points, three comforts of how God has secured our hope in him from this first answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. Number one, we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. That I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I I love the comprehensive nature of these words. Body and soul, life and death. It's like everything that is in me, everything, body and soul, from the very beginning of life all the way to death. It's all I have. I'm all his. I'm Christ's. But, but it, it is kind of an odd consideration in our day, isn't it? I mean, we're in a culture that's all about individual rights and possessions, private property, even truths tailored to one's own self-interest. But for the redeemed Christian, we are not our own. 1 Corinthians 6 is very clear. You were bought with a price. Our redemption came free to us, but at a high cost to God. Romans 14 validates it once again. None of us live to himself and no one dies to himself. It's like we have no part in it. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In other words, if you're God's, he is completely, sovereignly in control of your life and death and body and soul. And this should bring comfort to our souls. We don't have to run around and wrestle against providence in this life. We belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3 put it simply, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. That's that's our place. That's our position. You know, we don't like to talk about masters and rulers in our day. Funny how... In real estate, we can't say master bedroom anymore. Say primary bedroom. (laughs) We don't even like that word master. But you know what? Jesus is our master. Jesus is our king. And he is the best king in the universe for eternity. No one even comes close. There's no comparison. We belong to Jesus. So take a deep breath. Belong to Jesus. I am not my own. I am his. I am a member of the household of God. I don't have to fight to make this life mine uh, because it's not mine. I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. Number two, what happens to us is 100% in his hands down to the smallest detail. He also preserves me, preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Wow, you know, 
We go through some big things in life. All of us go through some big challenges and changes. But you know, we think in those times, I I really need God. I have a big decision to make. Or this is a really hard trial. I really need God. But do you love how the text clarifies for us here? Down to the falling of a hair from your head, God is in control. I love that because I'm sure most of us don't really even know when we lose hair. (laughs) But take heart. God's got this. Down to that level of detail. And we know this really comes in two forms, doesn't it? Number one, God knows more about us and our future than we do. Right? That's a comfort. Right? Psalm 139. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And secondly, we remember that everything that happens to us is in his hands. Even the strongest forces, the most powerful principalities and powers cannot undo or push against the providence of my God. Remember, Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we can take comfort, brothers and sisters. We can lean into this truth and let our hope be bolstered because everything that happens to you, even down to the hairs of your head, even down to the smallest detail, is in his hands. Thirdly and lastly, Nothing can stop us from living for him. Nothing can stop us from living for Jesus. Catechism says, Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Wow, there's a confidence there, isn't there? I am ready to live for God. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast. That strong, firm holding of an anchor. Nothing can stop us from living for Jesus. And this is because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. You know, earlier when we spoke of the hope of God driven within us by a faith in His Word... It's the Holy Spirit that breathes that hope into us. Right? The, the Spirit assures us. 2 Corinthians 1 says the Spirit is our guarantee to confirm the truth of the Word by faith. So that we are we, we're free, we're equipped, we are enabled and assured by the Spirit of God to go and live for Christ. I appreciate how Bridges draws this out. He says... It's not the Word without the Spirit, and it's not the Spirit without the Word, but it is the Spirit by the Word. First putting life into the Word, and then the Word quickening the soul. The Word is the instrument, the Spirit is the almighty agent. So, by the providence of our God, even on the tough days... When affliction will come, even in those times, nothing can stop us 
for living, from living for him. And, and this is a comfort to us. Our God is our hope. And we won't just survive on the hard days and the hard seasons, but we will actually abound. We will actually glorify him in this hope he's given us. As Romans 15 says from our scripture reading today, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. No fear in life and death, but comfort. The peace, the rest, the confident hope in the living God. So as we step into this Christian life and live for God, may we be grounded by faith and hope. Not for something, not to something, but in something. The hope of our Lord and God. And may his word be that instrument made confident by faith and the spirit that secures our hope in Christ. And may, may we remember the words of 1 Peter 1. That, that this hope is what God has brought us into. According to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that we may live, that we may rejoice, so that we may cry, so that we may build, so that we may conquer, so that we may marry, so that we may have children, so that we may love one another, so that we may testify to the lost, all soaked in the living hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for the incredible living hope that you have brought us into through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh God, help us remember these truths today. Help us remember that we belong to Jesus and that everything that happens to us is 100% in your hands, even down to the falling of hair from our head. Oh God, give us faith to know that nothing can stop us from living for you and to glorify you. Oh God, increase our hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.